it came down to the small, small little things, transitions, you know, how do you position yourself in a, in a workout? What's your setup position for a sprint? And so for me, the best way to, was to visualize it, close my eyes and see myself and then actually go through it. And I think for me, that was something I did early on. I would even, you know, write it sometimes on a notebook, you know, what do I want to do? How's my plan of action? And then just repeat it. My coach and I would kind of repeat it, especially the early days in 2012 and 13 at regionals, I would just go over it and over it. And it seems kind of mundane. People are like, why would you do that? But just like repetitions anywhere else, like the, the best way to improve your snatch is obviously, you know, do the lift, practice the movements. A lot of things can come into it, you know, mobility, positioning, but the more repetitions you have under your belt, the more likely you're going to feel smoother with that movement. So if I'm practicing as my mind, right, mind repetitions, that's going to become smoother and easier. So by the time I go into the event, even if I have a hiccup, my mind will be like, oh, remember, this is what we're doing. This is the Limitless Athlete Podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, founder of MindsetRx and your host, and I believe that athletes must rid themselves of all expectations. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past in the future. There's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay. That's part of the deal. It's how I responded. That moment you realize you're actually good at CrossFit is a double-edged sword. There was probably a moment where you looked around the gym and you realized that you're no longer the athlete you were when you started. Or maybe you won a comp and that changed your own perception. These watershed moments are a brilliant opportunity to rewrite your story. No longer are you an amateur. You're good at this. Be careful though, because if you're not aware, you'll create expectations which will limit your performance. Let's just define expectations quickly. Expectations are visions of the future, not that you hope to happen, but that you bank on happening. What's the problem with that, you may ask? Well, firstly, where did these expectations come from? Was it what you consciously crafted for yourself and your own desires? Or are you assuming that the people you surround yourself with, your coaches, fellow athletes and family, now expect a level of performance from you? Are you worried that their love for you might diminish, their respect for you might diminish if you don't hit that. Implicit in this is the challenging idea, what if I let them down? Or does this come from fear? Fear of going back to the struggle. As we've previously discussed in the show at length, fear-generated beliefs are often limiting beliefs. Expectations are too unyielding to be helpful. When you expect something to go a certain way, your sense of security is attacked when the anticipated result fails to materialize. Expectations create unhelpful pressure too. Our best performances happen when we're not overwhelmed by the amount of pressure we feel. So what's the alternative? Aspirations. Firstly, there's the aspirations of outcome-based goals. There's nothing wrong with saying, I aspire to get to the semi-finals. Then we have the aspirations of input-based goals. I will do everything within my control to go unbroken on the double unders. I will put full effort into planning my macros and recovery. Have high standards by all means. Have hope for your future. Aim high. Don't, however, hold on to expectations which will limit your performance. Today's guest, seven times CrossFit Games athlete Margot Alvarez, speaks so eloquently about many things in the following show. But the theme running through this and something she is clearly highly adept at is observing and refocusing expectations. Alongside expectations, we also discuss how the tragic passing of her sister changed the way she lived her life, what Margot would teach an athlete on the cusp of reaching their next level, the biggest hurdle Margot had to overcome in competition, and the balance of discipline and self-compassion. Now, here is the wonderful Margot Alvarez. Margot, welcome to the Limitless Athlete Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited that we're doing this. Um, I've been yeah really looking forward to having you on the show ever since my assistant said that you're, you're coming on. It's gonna be it's gonna be sweet. Um, so 
let's start with the very very obvious place and give a bit about your background i know that like when i was looking at interviews you had so many sports that you partook in as a, as a kid um yeah what are your memories of sports as a kid yeah i i think my first memory of doing any sports was tennis and i want to say that was when i was in living in san diego i was born in san diego california and i want to say i was like five and i i just remember having like a little tennis racket and i think seeing pictures of that when i was younger definitely um you know helped me remember those memories but that was kind of my first activity i think i got into was tennis and then um as my sisters and i moved to my family we got into different activities we did ballet for a little bit um, my sisters did jazz um, did horseback riding taekwondo golf volleyball um i did a little bit of like gymnastics like learning the movements um but ended up having surgery on my wrist twice when i was little so that stopped very quickly which is unfortunate because now you know what I've done with my career in terms of CrossFit, I look back and I was like, oh, if only I would have continued or if I would have gone down that route. But I got to play and be involved in a lot of different activities and sports throughout the years. Uh, I'll think my mom being very proactive with myself and my sisters gave me a variety, but that first memory was tennis. And then from there it evolved. Yeah. Like what was the, um, what were the benefits of really going through a lot of sports? Because like, like you said, so many, especially female cross athletes seem to be involved in um, gymnastics to a pretty high level. Like do you reckon competing in so many different sports gave you an advantage? I think so. I think at least at a young age, letting my body adapt to different, different modalities, um, challenging myself in different ways. I mean, I think of tennis, like you're kind of moving, even though I'm super young, you're, you know, learning how to move side to side. Taekwondo definitely gave me a lot of discipline mentally. And I think that mental capacity definitely transferred into my later years same thing with golf playing golf at a young age you have to have a lot of patience um, when I started at eight years old and I played till was consistent for 10 years until I was 18 I mean you're playing 18 holes and if you get upset yourself you get frustrated uh, on that first hole you know the rest of the day could be horrible because you have 17 at least 17 more holes to complete depending on how many days you're competing in and so I think for myself it gave me a lot of understanding of mental capacity, mental training, um, but also, you know, knowing your body and what you're capable of. I think we're capable of as humans as a, of a lot of things. We can challenge ourselves and we can do a lot of things, but you won't really know until you test those limits. And I think at a young age, you're able to be more pliable, kind of like silly putty where you're able to be molded a little bit more. Um, and I think it, for me, it gave me that advantage just to try different things and push those barriers a little bit out. Yeah. So part of that molding is a kind of physical molding of like, okay, yeah, you can develop new skills really quickly. You learn through play and it happens really quickly. Another part of that is the kind of mental skills and the fortitude you develop, like you've mentioned taekwondo and discipline. What, yeah. what was your mentality like as a kid? That's a great question. I think my mentality was, you know, go for whatever I want. Um, not in a context where like anything's possible, like not the context where like I'm allowed to have anything, but in the aspect of I, if I want something, I have to work hard for it. I have to try for it. So if I want to, you know, become a yellow belt or blue belt, black belt, eventually in Taekwondo, I have to put in the work. I have to go to class. I have to do what I need to do to get there. And I think as a kid, I was very outgoing, loved exploring. I think my, you know, growing up in Montana, my sisters and I had the opportunity to, you know, explore on our, like the piece of property that we lived on. And that was very adventurous. And so I'd say my background as a young kid was very adventurous, willing to put myself out there um, and not being afraid to, I think, fail. And I think my mom always encouraged us to try something and push ourselves. And, you know, you won't know how things are going to come out until you give yourself that shot. And I think for me, that was very good because it allowed me to, you know, put myself out there. And if I don't, if I don't do well and I fail per se, or if I don't complete the tasks or I'm not able to, you know, qualify for the next level, <clears throat> then at least I tried. And I think that mentality as a young kid continued with me as I got older, because it allowed me to say, you know, kind of like give no Fs, like I'm not going to hold that against me and create barriers for me. Cause that's not going to benefit me in the long run. And I think having that mentality as a young kid, continue with me as we get older. And I think as we get older, you know, you know, starting a business, going through hardships, you start to see like, all right, well, this may or may not be possible. So why do we even take that step to get there if we know that door is going to be closed? But as a young kid, you don't worry about that because you haven't had that experience. And I think that adventurous um, soul that I had allowed me to push myself in different avenues, especially with sports and activities. And that mindset, I think, helped me continue that on into my later life. Yeah, there's so much there I want to 
kind of pick apart as we go through this and i'm sure that theme of adventure will come through because it's like the hero's journey right you keep on kind of um, the more you pursue that spirit of adventure the more you find the things that challenge you in the perfect way i want to touch on um the kind of relationship you had with your mom there what like do you have any memories of her teaching you that do you have any memories of her like kind of around the sporting arena any lessons that she taught you i think for I think back to like, I'd see her in the stands at volleyball in high school, like junior high and high school. And she'd be there, you know, supporting us, cheering us and always just so happy and joyous, excuse me, being able to just support us. And I think so excited for myself and my sisters and what we were doing. And she was always so supportive, always so positive. And I think even if it was like, oh, we lost a game or I lost a match or it didn't go as planned, she was always so supportive. And I think that uplifting attitude helped me kind of navigate through it where it's like, all right you know, the end is not here. It's I'm not finished. I'm not complete. I'm going to continue on. And I think the support from her made that advantageous or made that kind of an environment that allowed me to continue to push forward versus feeling, all right, well, whatever it is, what it is, I didn't win, or I didn't do this. I didn't qualify, whether it's an individual or a team sport, you know, throw on the towel and be done. I think that continuous support definitely helped. And I think back um, it's funny. I think back to when we were little kids, my mom, we lived in Stevensville, which is 30 minutes South of Missoula, Montana. And so we'd have to drive to Missoula for majority of the sports. Um, and so, you know, she'd load us up in the car we'd drive there. She'd drive us around We'd you know, we'd have to get like fast food on the way home for dinner sometimes, but she was willing to do what it was for us in terms of sports or activities. And I was like, man, like if it wasn't for that sacrifice for her being able to do that, then I wouldn't, you know, have had that experience. And I'm so grateful for that. And I have a lot of friends now that have kids where they're, you know, driving back and forth to soccer, soccer practice or soccer games or gymnastics or ballet and all these other sports. And I was like, man, I don't think you realize the, um, the scope of what parents do. And I think for me, it allows me to reflect back and say, Hey, like, I'm so glad I had that relationship with my mom um, and her having that ability to take all of us, my sisters and I to those activities And I think that graciousness or that gratitude, maybe not being aware of it as much as a little kid, but now it allows me to be even more thankful for the experiences, but hopefully I can share that with others as young kids. So then they will be um, reciprocated to how their parents are helping them in their endeavors. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, that's definitely the, the attitudes take forwards. Were there any other coaches, role models who really shaped you as a, as a kid? There were, um, <clears throat> I would say there's two, they were both kind of in the Taekwondo realm. Um, one of them, Kim Siegler, she actually was my first instructor in Taekwondo. And I think her attitude was, you know, show up, do the work, push yourself, challenge yourself. Don't <clears throat> kind of back off if something's too hard. And she was the first one that I had as an instructor getting into Taekwondo. And the second one that I had, um, he was Chris Devine. He was a little more stern, we'll say, um, more direct, but he was the instructor I had when I was testing for my black belt. And he was, I would say a little more, like I said, not harsh, but direct and to the point, Mm -hmm. but kind of no BS, no, you know, sunshine and rainbows, but straight to the point. But I think that helped me because it challenged me what I know. I didn't pass with fine clever colors. I couldn't break the board that I needed to break for my test, Mm -hmm. but the words that he gave me was just something like, Hey, like you can't give up. You can't cry and like, just be done with it. You have to be willing to get back up again and try again. Even if you don't break the board, you have to get up and try again. And so those lessons, I think at a young age, you know, I started Taekwondo when I was eight and I got my black belt when I was 12. And I think that at such a young age, having two different types of experiences with different coaching um, or at least exposure to that, I think it allowed me to show do to allowed me to see what types of kind of attitudes I can take. I can, you know, Mm. be kind, I can put in the work, you know, be gracious. And at the same time, you know, no BS, make sure I'm straightforward to the point, do what I need to do in and out of training and then come back and test. And if I don't pass and that's okay, I get up again. You know, I think people talk about falling and getting back up again, falling and getting back up again. And as much as that may be cliche, I think it's important. And that that definitely falls into the business category once you launch a business. And I know you probably speak to this too. Like there are a lot of doors that will be closed in your face. And if you always respond to like, Oh, I can't do that anymore. Then you'll, you'll stay in that room. You have to be willing to knock down a different door or different barrier. And so I think those two instructors at a young age definitely helped me. Um, And I think a lot of that mental game and awareness there in Taekwondo transferred over to golf and then eventually CrossFit and then eventually business. 
Mm. It's really interesting you're talking about the two different styles or two different like elements of coaching. Because like one thing when we're working with athletes or working with coaches on their mentality, I'm thinking, is there a balance of it sounds kind of um I suppose overly spiritual to say it, but it's that that masculine energy and feminine energy and that nurturing, um, kind of softer, self-compassionate energy and also the the strict discipline. And it seems like you had that kind of that balance nicely. And we kind of live in this culture where I suppose the masculine is really, really um, suggested to be like the ultimate. And it's like discipline, pushing hard, and it's really valuable. But something people miss is that kind of that softer touch on themselves, occasionally being a bit more compassionate to mistakes and um, forgiving to themselves if they screw up, for example. How have you found the kind of the balance and the interplay of those two um, mentalities in your life? Uh, it's a great question as well. And I think <clears throat> for me, <clears throat> to me, a lot of it has been practice, um, you know, being involved in sports as a young girl and then evolving as I get older. I think like you, the biggest thing you said, you know, forgiving your mistakes or forgiving your challenges that you've had and not holding yourself to the flame in terms of, you know, being negative or telling yourself like, all right, I'm never going to be able to do this again, because it is that, that even balance, like you need discipline and you need parameters not necessarily consequences but you need accountability to be able to get where you're at because if you're just like mm, you know maybe i'll do this or maybe i'll you know work a little bit longer there's no measurable time frame there like are you going to work an hour longer are you going to work half an hour longer are you going to add two more hours so i think the accountability to myself whether it was training for competition or in business the accountability to myself allowed me to be stern discipline and then being able to be forgiving of myself knowing all right i'm not going to like run myself into the ground because I need to get back up the next day. And knowing that where I am now is closer from the day before or the week before or the year before. And so I think of it as a yin and a yang. And like, I think the best way for people to learn this is experience and time, just like repetitions and anything else, time of repetitions under your belt of experience and exposure to different challenges. And it, people talk about, you know, you know, if you go into a job, you need to get that experience. Well, experience is important, but actually seeing how it comes out in real life will actually give you that experience. And I think it's just being kind of, I think of waiting in water where like the water's around your waist and you can still move and like get where, get where you need to go. If there's a current might pull you back, but just those small steps every single day will get you there. And maybe you have to take a step to the side. Maybe you have to take a step back, but eventually you're making those steps forward. And so I think for myself, just the practice and the experience over the past, you know, 10, 20 years that I've had has helped me learn a little bit of the, that balance between both that, you know, more firm and then more subtle response. Do you have a tendency to fall one side of that balance? In some aspects, I think I come, I fall a little bit more to the kind um aspect I think of my mom where I'm I'm more so in that realm where it's more relaxing or more hey it's okay don't hold yourself to the flame um and I think over time I think I was more like that in the beginning and then over time I've become all right I need to be accountable I'm willing to put in more work I need to have certain deadlines or I need to be more um assertive to my needs because if not then they're just gonna get pushed to the wayside so i think for sure when i was younger i had a little bit more and even maybe not younger but like a few years ago a little bit more of that compassionate understanding which i still have but now i've leaned a little bit more to the other side where i think if i want to get results i need to put either a deadline for myself or for others or i need to say hey i'm looking to get into you know more wine shops what is that going to be required of me or what are you looking for so i can have more of an output so that desired outcome of getting into more shops is acquired so i think i've leaned more to the other side now <laughs> slowly getting yeah. there nice nice did you learn anything in childhood that was like you found unbeneficial for your for competing like because sometimes for example in, in golf right there's the as i found last week it you quite often crush a drive down the center of a fairway and you're on for the best hole of your life and then you just shank the worst shot of your life and it flies off into the rough um and it, it pays pays to like take one shot at a time be very forgiving um and kind of okay it's just one shot and the once one shot's been it's the next shot um yeah. obviously in a three minute workout that is not the mentality to take because it's like i made a mistake okay i've got to crush it and push and use that as a fuel did you find any strategies that you had to like or 
tendencies that you had to overcome as you um, progressed through competing? I think in certain ten- certain tendencies, I think I had to be able to push it. I, like you said, that you have a two to three minute workout. I had to push past my current comfort zone of what I would do in the past. I had a lot of experience golfing. And so the ability to take as much time, you know, four to five hours on the course, you can fix some mistakes. Hopefully if you shank a ball, like, all right, next, next hole, I need to get a little bit closer. I need to have, you know, one of the green so I can hopefully get a birdie. And I think that mentality when that came into competition, I had to be able to learn to change when I needed certain out of attitudes or when I needed to turn it on. If it's a quick, fast workout, my execution needs to be quick, fast to the point, not la-di-da where I'm taking my time, being more methodical. There are workouts and there are executions of that stature and of that nature, but that's where I had to challenge myself, especially within the CrossFit realm, is you have a variety of variety of tools in your shed. Which one are you going to pull out for which workout or which event? And I think learning that as I went along, in the beginning it was you know, I, Hey, I need a wrench, but I pull out a screwdriver. I'm like, well, that's not the right thing I need. So then learning to, you know, be able to change that was something that kind of came about over the years, but now I feel it's a little more refined with a, at least within that, the CrossFit competition realm. Um, but that was definitely something I had to get through. And it's just like, you know, on a trail, you're climbing up, you're climbing down, figuring out what's best. And the best way to is, you know, make those mistakes, learn from them and then apply that knowledge going forward. Did you find any strategies to help you really find that kind of, I suppose, the limit? Like when you're when you feel like you're holding back, was there any self-talk? Was there any visualization, any processes that you went through that was like, I'm going to make this count and I know how I'm going to do that? Yeah, I think a lot of it was visualization. I focused a lot either before the workout, um, I would try to visualize what I was looking for, the expectation. Then if I'm in that workout and things change or that event changes, or there's a you know a new element that doesn't that I've never done before and I've never resonated with, then I have to be able to shift. All right, what do I need to do? I need to be able to be pliable. I would usually have a plan, um, but sometimes those railings would need to come off the plan and I'd have to you know navigate through that event or whatever I was trying to handle, whether it was one event one a day or multiple days. And so I think the ability to be dynamic and kind of flip the switch on a dime was something I had to practice and get better with. But the more competition, the more events I had, the more challenging situations I had, the more comfortable we'll say in a a way more comfortable I got with it because I feel like I'm a very, Oh, this is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. This is how I'm going to get from A to Z. And that can be beneficial at a time, but if things, you know, fall off the, the scale and you need to adapt. That was something where I needed to learn a bit more, but that helped me. And visualization for sure was a huge component. Yeah. I'd really like to dig into visualization then. Um, do you have a process? Do you have a specific technique that you follow? Like, is there kind of music that accompanies it? Is it something you're doing like once is you imagining stuff that goes wrong, stuff that goes right? Like, tell me about it. So usually when I visualize, I would close my eyes and I would just see how I wanted the workout or see how I wanted the event to go. Um, if I'm focusing on what, what I wanted to happen, then more likely my brain would go down that path versus, Oh, well, if I fall off this, or if I miss the rope climb, or I don't, don't grab this, if I slip off the paddleboard. So I'm, instead of focusing on what could possibly go wrong, I would just focus and visualize on what I wanted. And then I would go through the movements, maybe in like a little small circle behind an event, you know, I'd go over to the bar, pretend to do a lift and then move over to the next element, pretend to do something else. And so I'm kind of prepping my body to go through those movements and even my mind. And I think the biggest thing from, you know, the early, early days of competition, the transition from one movement or one element to the next was important because that's where you could lose a second, two seconds. And as the competition got, you know, more, more challenging and that room for error got smaller and smaller, it came down to the small, small little things, transitions, you know, how do you position yourself in a, in a workout? What's your setup position for a sprint? And so for me, the best way to, was to visualize it, close my eyes and see myself and then actually go through it. And I think for me, that was something I did early on. I would even, you know, write it sometimes on a notebook, you know, what do I want to do? How's my plan of action? And then just repeat it. My coach and I would kind of repeat it, especially the early days in 2012 and 13 at regionals, I would just go over it and over it. And it seems kind of mundane. People are like, why would you do that? But just like repetitions anywhere else, like the, the best way to improve your snatch is obviously, you know, do the lift, practice the movements. A lot of things can come into it, you know, mobility, positioning, but the more repetitions you have under your belt, the more likely you're going to feel smoother with that movement. So if I'm practicing as my mind, right, mind repetitions, that's going to become smoother and easier. So by the time I 
going to the event, even if I have a hiccup, my mind will be like, oh, remember, this is what we're doing. Perfect example was in 2013 regionals. Um, this was in Santa Rosa, California, and it was outdoors. And so they had the hard plastic mats kind of connected. But instead of it being a flat surface, it was kind of like bumpy. So you had to like run back and forth. It was uh, four rope climbs, sorry, uh, four cleans and two rope climbs. And I believe it was four rounds. And my plan, I visualized it, went over it, over and over it, walking up to the event was two cleans drop, two cleans drop, then the rope climb. And I got so excited the first round and adrenaline just pumped through me. And I did three cleans. I was like, oh no. And I dropped the bar and then I just did one and then did my rope climbs and then came back and went to the two, two. And as much as maybe I had the capacity to it, to do that, I was like, no, I'm going to stick to my plan because that's, what's going to allow me to get to my end goal. And I finished that workout, I believe in second. Um, and the way everything finished allowed me to be in a component um, or allowed me to be in a place where I qualified for my first games. And I think, you know, being able to adapt where you have an error or an, like a hiccup in your plan and then, oh my God, F it. I can't continue. I have to, you know, everything has to start all over. Instead of doing that and resorting to that, I just said, Hey, you know, relax, take a breath, just do my one rep and then falling back into the plan after that. And that's just one example. And everyone has different scenarios. And the more experience you have, the more, um, you can rely on your body or your visualization to help you get through what you're looking to accomplish. Nice. That's really nice. It fits really well with something that, that we teach, which is like this framework of how you categorize workouts. And we describe like an arch with um, something like a 10K run. So something super monostructural being on one side where you need kind of quite forgiving, slow um, or golf, for example, or some forms of yoga, where it'd be very forgiving, very slow, compassionate self-talk. And then on the other side, you'd have like, one max power clean so not as technical pure power pure aggression and something that helps you kind of tick along is familiarity and the more familiar you are with an environment the um kind of the more you can push and more you can be a little bit more aggressive and the more you can kind of reach your intensity or the limits of your intensity but the problem with that is is that in some events you're only going to get one shot at it but if you can visualize it as part of your subconscious that goes, I've been here before. I know what to do. I know what to expect. And it might be a small bit, but it could be the difference between um, between first and second place or third and fourth place or whatever. So that's really nice that you're practicing that that familiarity. Yeah, thank you. I think it's important. I, I think a lot of people maybe don't see the value or maybe at least in the, you know, a couple of years ago, I think more people are seeing the value now of the mind game, not necessarily the mind game, but the mental aspect, the mental training and how, you know, a lot of what you're doing physically can be affected by how your mindset is. And an, another example is 2018 games when Dave Castro released, you know, the marathon row, people were like, Oh my God, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be terrible. And I'm thinking, okay, one, we saw this coming we knew it was going to happen Two, why are you already telling yourself that it's going to be horrible? Like you're already saying this is going to suck. We have like, we all have to do it. We can't get out of it. It's like, no, he's not going to change his mind and have another workout or event planned, but how you talk to yourself and how you tell yourself things has a direct impact on your execution. Same thing, whether this be in, you know, your career, it could be um, just in gym. It could not just necessarily competition. It could be in your business, anything, any, realm or industry that you think of what you tell yourself or how you talk to yourself is going to have an impact on the actuality of what's coming out you know if you tell yourself like oh my gosh like you're ugly you're not pretty you're constantly going to project that as well and your attitude is going to be down it's like no like i am pretty i am gorgeous i know i've worked so hard to you know fix my hair or grow my hair that's just an example that's a little more aesthetic aesthetics but that plays a role in anything else. And I think more and more people are starting to see the value in that where before people are like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm like, there is value to that. It just, do you see the value in that? Hey, if you're enjoying this episode, chances are you'll enjoy our free ebook, How to Stop Substandard Self-Critical Plateaus and Unleash Your Potential. It's a step-by-step guide to finding your mojo again and getting back to the athlete you know you can be. It's free. You just have to stick your email address in and download it. To find it, head to mindsetrx.com slash ebook. That's mindsetrxd.com slash ebook. Now let's get on with the show.
I was doing some digging around before we record this podcast, and one of the things came up with this interview you did with, um, I think it's Wattify. The question was, what advice would you give to someone who is just starting to train in the CrossFit space, anything they should focus on first? And you said, I'd have them focus on the mental aspect and not uh, placing huge expectations on themselves and trying something new. Why was that your answer? Because I feel like, especially um, a goal like that, getting to the games, there's going to be a lot more tests mentally than so much more physically. And I think the expectations, at least from, from my experience and talking to others, we as individuals and as humans, we put high expectations on ourselves or we worry about the expectations that people are putting on ourselves, even though they're not putting expectations on ourselves. It's those expectations we think people are putting on us. So it's like, I don't want to let so-and-so down. I don't want to let my coach, my community, my gym down. And so to answer, I was like, that's, I was like the mind aspect or the mental aspect is so much more important and the expectations can crush you physically and mentally and where you even emotionally and wear you down and so that's where i feel like if someone's that's if that's someone's goal and that's what they want to get to great we all could do the physical work but it's a mental work that you're going to do or not do that can have a direct correlation to your outcome of you know getting to the games or qualifying what expectations did you struggle with it's <laughs> good question. Um, so when I first started, I just, when I wanted to compete, I was like, I want to compete at the games with these ladies volunteering at the 2011 games. I was like, this is amazing. This is incredible. If they're there, I want to be there. Like, what can I do? And I think for myself, I didn't have necessarily any, any expectations. I think the first expectation I can really recall was 2012 where I was like, I'm going to go to the games. This is my year. I'm going to qualify. And if I look at like what I physically was able to do and what would be needed to get there, I wasn't at that caliber, but my mind was like, doesn't matter. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get there. Um, and so I think that was kind of the first expectation that I recall having, even though it wasn't like an, I feel like that was not necessarily a negative connotation expectation. It's more like, this is what I want. This is what I'm hoping for. This is what I'm yearning for. And so that's where my mind went. Um, over the years, I think 2013 was that first year of, you know, I made it, I qualified. This is amazing. I'm just going to go there and, you know, give it the best I got. After that, things started to apply where I'm like, I, I want to get better. I'm an, I've qualified another year. I want to place higher. So the expectations of what I was capable of, I wanted to push myself. Um, and that's where I had to really work to, you know, separate, say, hey, like, this is the work that I've put in. This is where I'm at physically. I have to say, all right, where am I at? you know, strength, capacity, gymnastics wise. And then where do I want to be? I have to be aware and realistic. Not that I can't work hard for more, but that's where those expectations start to come in. And it's tough because a lot of those expectations become more in the training days when I'm be spending, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours in the gym. I'm like, man, like I'm not getting stronger or I want to be able to do more muscle ups. And I think that's, it's very easy to go down to the negative aspects or the things that aren't working or the things that aren't as positive, like, all right, man, I just got more muscle ups in a row. I just, you know, PR my clean by five pounds, by 10 pounds. You're kind of acknowledge that, but you're like, ah, yeah, but I need this. It's like, okay, but don't forget this. And a lot of that I've been able to learn from where now I tell people, you know, you celebrate those successes because they're not going to come. They're not going to come very often, especially when you get higher to the top of that pyramid, they're come few and far between whether that's competition, business, whatever, celebrate those, but also in, embrace those struggles because those struggles and how you respond to them are going to help you get, get, help you get set up for the next success that you have, you know, whether that's standing on top of the podium or getting into a wine shop or launching your business, opening your store, whatever it might be. And it's tough. Cause again, like I know I kind of went a little on a tangent, but those expectations are hard because you start to, you know, it's like a worm in your brain. You start to go down these different holes and different paths. And then you start to create these scenarios where it's all thought up. It's not actually physically real. And so I had to really work hard. Like, all right, you know, don't worry about the expectations, put them to the wayside, focus on what you physically have in front of you. Do what you need to do, you know, review my work, what was well, what were I could improve. And then I'll, you know, take that into the, into the gym the next day or take that to the next competition. What I found is there's this huge difference between expectations and hopes. It's like, I hope it's going to go this way, but as soon as I expect it to go this way, or um, this is the way it has to go, it's kind of setting yourself up for rigidity. And it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword as well, because if you could outperform that, but your expectation is to just hit this limit, you've kind of limited yourself as well, or you set yourself up for 
the mother of all catastrophic failures that just eats away at you like it's it's a really difficult balance to get like of like i hope it goes this well i'm aiming at this i'm kind of trying to exceed uh sorry succeed um but i'm not saying that this is the way it has to go because that adds rigidity into what we're trying to do yeah i agree i think that's a great point of rigidity it's it kind of refines you to a box and if you can't mm. get outside the boxes it has to be that and that can confine you you know literally yeah, yeah. How did you take control of your environment when you were training and competing? So for training, uh, I mean, the biggest thing was, I think positive environment's huge. And so I would put myself in the best possible environment. In the beginning, in my earlier years, um, the community was great at the lo- at the gym that I was at. The um, Some of the environment wasn't the best, so I had to pull myself out of that environment. I had to say goodbye to a community, even though we were still connected we could still see each other but i wasn't physically coaching or training that gym um but for me to be in a better environment i had to leave and so i had to make sure that i was putting myself in the best possible environment um and having the most supportive people around me so my coach and spouse he was very adamant about that positive environment and he could see the direct impact early on when you know if it's not a positive environment and i'm you know being doubt is being thrown my way by individuals or by groups of people it was going to affect me emotionally and that in turn would affect me in the, in the gym training. And so pulling myself out of environments were something I had to do in the beginning so I could change that. And then over the years, we tried to make sure I was in the best possible environment to train, whether that was in the gym or, you know, outdoors at sand dunes or the mountains or running, whatever it might be. And the biggest thing was just being around supportive people or people that were supportive and wanting to be um, a positive role in my life or in the gym and it is sometimes like i said you have to say goodbye to certain people certain areas um because certain individuals or certain groups of people um like a toxin they just kind of you know taint the environment and so to do that you have to to leave and so i had to do that a couple times or i'd say just probably once in the beginning um and it can be hard because you have friends you have community that you're connected to and community has always been number one to me um, because I wouldn't be here without the community, without the support of the others, you know, cheering me on the stands or, you know, saying hi in the gym. Um, but I think to anyone out there that, you know, is looking for a positive community and they feel like they're in a not so good environment, um, changing environment is huge and it, it can have a very big direct impact on, um, your performance. It feels like such, well, it can feel like such a risky thing to do though, because you're stepping out into the unknown again. You're kind of, you found the, an environment that while, whilst it might not be like optimal for you, it might feel safe and it might feel like the known. So to kind of go out there and say, Hey, I'm choosing not to spend time with these people anymore. And or in this environment or whatever the kind of negative side of it is, it feels like a challenging thing to do. Did you encounter that resistance to um, you mean in terms of resistance from people or just resistance about- from in terms of like you internal resistance to change? Okay. I think um, I think I was a little hesitant because it was more the leaving the community, leaving the people that were supporting me or that believed in me um, and not feeling that I wasn't <clears throat> I wasn't there for them or with them at the same time. So I think that was the hardest part to leave an environment and go somewhere else. I think I wasn't scared. I wasn't worrisome of that. Like I was comfortable going to a new environment, you know, changing the environment to be in a better place, whether it's a gym or a new state, new city, whatever it is, I was comfortable with that. And I think having that kind of adventurous spirit as a young girl that allowed me to be okay with that or be comfortable with that. Like I'm totally fine going to a completely new area, meeting completely new people. I think that was the the part that wasn't hard. The hard part was leaving the people and the relationships and the friendships that I established because those I find so precious. Those are what I value um, because it's those experiences, memories that I create with one another that that's going to last a lot longer than my time competing. Absolutely. When you, you mentioned earlier that you were a volunteer the first time you went to the games, right? What was, what was that experience like? Amazing. (laughs) It was, um, it just brings a, like a super big grin to my face because, um, volunteering, I think it was like a month before that, six weeks before that was the SoCal regionals and I volunteered there. And I remember seeing Chris Clever, Becca Voigt, Katie Hogan all compete. And I was like, this is amazing. I got like my big googly eyes. I was like, I'm going to do this. And then being able to go volunteer at the games and seeing it, you know, everyone from around the world competing higher level of competition because you're at the games. It was like, 
to see all these men and women get after it and, you know, crushed. I was like, I want to do that. I want to see if I'm capable of that. I was just, it gave me this whole like zest. Um, and even though I felt like I was running with my chick, like a chicken with his head cut off, like doing so many things, working with the rogue team, working with CrossFit, I didn't care what I was doing. Um, I just wanted to be involved as much as possible because I loved everything that was there, you know, doing the registration, running behind the scenes. I remember, um, one of my, my main point of contact was Angel Forbes and she's been around forever within the CrossFit realm and, you know, just talking to her and then continuing to build a relationship and friendship over the years from that memory was just, it was memorable. And that was something I loved so much about the community and seeing again, those athletes compete there. I was like, I want to go do that. I want to compete there. Not so much in the fact of, you know, actually just competing with other people, but like, can I do this for myself? Can I challenge myself? Can I get to that level? And I think that's what I loved. I just, I wanted to see if I was capable of doing it. And that first experience as a volunteer was huge because it allowed me to, you know, it it pretty much set me on this different trajectory of where I was before my life. What was your first games experience like? In terms of competition? Yeah. Yeah. What was like that kind of that? Because like those people feel like, it's like, oh, shit, I don't belong here. Like, or like, or like, I don't know whether I'm the, I deserve to be here or, or like, there's so many conflicted experiences. Like, what's the emotionality of that like? I think for me, I was just, I was so excited to be there. It was 2013 was the first games. Uh, and I remember not knowing what needed, what we needed to do, where we needed to be, but just so like proud of my effort that I, I made it there, like having the school and wanting to get there. And, you know, two years later, actually stepping foot qualifying and being there was like, Amazing. And it, it makes me think of um, the Vegas vacation movie where at the end where he's like, I won, I won the money, I won. And it's this guy talking about this, you know, ticket he won for, I think, bingo or whatever it was at the end. And just that pure joy of for him winning. And for me, it was this pure joy of being there and qualifying. And I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I necessarily cared of like, you know, what are the other athletes? Like I was excited to meet other athletes and see people that I'd seen previous years and build these relationships and connect. And obviously there's the nerves or competition, but just being there, like I made it, I did it no matter what happens. You know, I said, I wanted X was, which was to get to the games. And then I achieved that goal. It's like, I put all my eggs literally in this basket to get there and I was able to achieve it. So I was very grateful and thankful for everything and everyone that made it happen. Um, and to just be in that moment and soak it up was just pure excitement. Like I'm, I'm, I'm glad I can still enjoy that, that memory um, after year after year. But I think it was something just to, you know, be present. And obviously as the years, like or as that weekend went on, you start to think more emotions, like what's well, going to be, or what are the workouts? Like, how's it going to feel like? Um, and then at the end, you're like, wow, I'm really sore, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was so worth it. It was definitely um, just a, a, a joyous feeling. You can see the excitement in your eyes. Like you can genuinely see like the the thrill and the enjoyment of like, that was brilliant. Like it's, it's really cool to see. <laughs> Thanks. When you think back to competing, what was that? I suppose the, the highlight of your athletic career, like what was, was there a workout that's like, oh man, I crushed that. And it just felt perfect. Was there like a, a, a day, a moment where it was like, that was what I was looking for? Yeah, I think the first experience was 2013. Um, it was a 2007 workout in the stadium, like when the lights had gone, or the sun had gone down, lights turned on. Um, and it started with like a 1K row, uh, 25 pull-ups and seven shoulder overhead, I think for five rounds. And I, it was kind of two reasons why. One was my butterfly pull-ups and kind of like all came together after all the practice I've done. So being able to do butterfly pull-ups for the entire workout, I think it was kind of like, Oh, you know, that we're like, everything just feels amazing. Um, And then being able to finish the workout and cross the line and get to the end before the buzzer, that was just phenomenal. And I think right after that people in the crowd, like screaming and yelling and like wanting to give high fives. So I go up to people and like, just gave them high fives and fist bumps and like seeing people in the crowd that you don't even know. That, but you, you all do CrossFit together. You, you all know that feeling of when you finish a workout. So being able to celebrate that with the lights on, it was just this vibe and this energy. And I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it. And I think that was one of the first moments where it was just like everything kind of came together and, you know, went to plan per se, but it was just that experience and that moment that I captured in time. It was very um, fulfilling. We'll say that was probably one of the, the most best experiences and first experiences there. What does it feel like when you are competing at that level? Good question. I would say a couple different things. It feels like 
when you're in the moment in the midst of the competition, you're at least for myself, I'm focusing on what I'm doing, whatever event that I'm at. There's this high level, obviously competition of everyone. You're kind of all around the same, you know, fitness level per se. And it's just, you want to perform as best as possible. You want to have everything on par. So you're kind of hyper-focused in a way, breathing, execution, you know, where am I going to step up for my rope or where am I step up for my bar? I think there's a lot of things going on. So in the moment, I feel like it's almost like a, like a hyper zoom where you're just, there's so much going on around you or even like a hurricane or a tornado, you're calm in your mind. There's chaos on the outside, right? You know, breathing, you're pulling, you're pushing, you're running, whatever it is, but inside you're trying to stay calm. Not every event's like that, but that's what I felt like at least in that moment. But also I think majority of the competition, you want to be in that, that space mentally, because that's going to allow you to move effortlessly through something. And I always think of double unders, for example, like double unders can be chaotic, right? You, you're whipping yourself, you're jumping, but if you can have a relaxed face or like a smooth, relaxed kind of jaw that allows you to embody that. And it's, I feel like that's a movement that I can kind of, kind of, can kind of describe to give to people not to have a picture of me doing double unders. You know, you can see the body moving. My face is kind of relaxed. And I think that's the feeling that I get out there, at least for myself during competition. Again, not every moment, not every moment's like that, but the majority of it, when things are going well, that's what it feels like. The reason I ask is because I find Mm -hmm. that athletes are struggling to get to that kind of what is now semifinals level, what was regionals level, that kind of, that kind of level. There's this misconception that's like, I need to be fuel, like fire and just crushing and like pure force, that kind of masculine energy that we're talking about earlier. But it's not that. And but it's also not the kind of like, just completely relax and give up. It's that that kind of tension in the middle of those results. And like, whenever we ask athletes and whenever we ask like any high performer, that's what it comes back to. It's that kind of middle ground. It's that kind of that effortless effort, like we weigh, like the Tao Te Ching says, it's like the kind of, it just flows, but it's not forced at the same time, but it's still got that, that kind of energy. So it's, again, it's like, yeah, it's fascinating to hear it. Yeah. And I think there, I, I see, I think it depends too, and also who you ask. Um, but I think like we talked about before, like kind of the yin and yang, having a little bit of both, being able to be, you know, kind of turn it on when competition is and you're zoning, you're, you want to fight for that top spot. You want to fight for that first place. You want to fight for that finish. And I think it's important to have that. And sometimes I didn't have that in the, I think in my beginning, I didn't have that fierceness or that fire as much. Cause I was, you know, this is amazing. I'm happy to be here. And my coach and I talked about that a lot. It's like, you got to be able to find that that turn that kind of switch where you kind of turn it on at certain times. Cause when I'd walk around, I'd be myself and say hi to people, take photos, smile, enjoy people, you know, hug people. Um, but then it comes to competition. You need to be able to say, Hey, like, this is mine. If I want this, I need to be able to grab it. <clears throat> and I think of um, the marathon row in 2018. Like I had a plan to go in there. Like, this is how I'm going to execute it. This is what I'm going to do. This is my event. I'm going to do my plan based on what I'm capable of. Both my teammate and I had this plan and we're going to go out there and execute it. It's like, you have to kind of, not that you have to go out and like take it, it's mine. But at the same time, it's like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do my plan. No one's going to be able to come do what I'm going to. Not that you need to be egotistical or narcissistic, but just more of a confidence in yourself. Like, Hey, like I have this plan. I've done something similar to like this in the past. And this is what I'm going to do. And to give reference, so so it doesn't sound like I'm just you know putting stuff out there. Um, the plan for 2018 Marathon Row was go out for that kind of hard in that first 2K, similar to what 2013 had. 2013 was a 2K row for time straight into a half marathon. So it was two scored events. So even though the half marathon or the full marathon was just one event, my teammate, Whitney Glenn, had it planned like, hey, like that first 2K, we're going to go out hard and hard's relative, um, hard, but then we'll set it into the pace. It could have totally blown up on us. We could have gone out too hot and we'd be, you know, out of, uh, out of luck, we'll say later on, but the amount of training, the amount of rowing that we had done, we knew that we were both capable of that. So that first two K was a one fifty five pace for me, then a two minute pace. And then I settled into a two Oh six, a little early, a little fast in the early beginning, but settled into two eight eventually. And it worked out. And then I won and she got second. The good plan and well executed (laughs) Um, to juxtapose that with the mentality that gets in the way. It's like the other side, the side that you don't want to be is what's so-and-so doing? Oh, should I like walking up to the row and thinking, Oh, like, what is my pace going to be? Like, where am I going to go? It's often 
the case that just having a poor plan but executing it with 100% confidence is going to get you so much further than changing your mind a thousand times in the middle of a workout. For sure. And I think in the beginning, I would always have blinders. And I think it's important to focus on you know what you're doing, how you're going to execute because you don't worry about so-and-so. <clears throat> As I got more experience, I could kind of take those blinders off and say, I can be aware of the people around me, but I have no control over them. I can control myself. So I'm not going to put energy there, but I'm aware like, hey, where am I at? Um, you know, how is this, how, how is that execution? How is that going to movement affect me? It's not, but you know, how she moves forward or, you know, if she moves on to the next element, what's going to be for me an example, this is kind of outside the CrossFit realm, but when I did the Titan games in 2020, um, Kelly Stone was my competitor for the event, for the first two events. And it was where you had to take like these nuts and bolts off like a wall. And so my goal was, you know, take as much as I can as I offer as I can, because I don't want to have to go over there, try to pull this rope, have the lever come down. And then I have, it's too heavy and I have to go back. So she took off and I finished one extra bolt that I took off for myself, but I was like, all right, well, I have to be smart now because she's ahead of me. But if she gets the fit and finishes it before me, the sheet has that win. I don't. So I stuck to my plan where I took the last element off, but then I was like, all right, I know I have the capability, or at least I believe I have the capability to go over there and pull the rope. I didn't know what weight it was going to be. I didn't know what it was going to feel like, but I trusted in my ability because I know I have good pulling strength to pull that rope and finish it and then be the one to finish first versus herself. So knowing, like you said, where the environment is or where the people around you, but not concerning yourself with them, but concerning yourself with your effort and what you can do or cannot do. Precisely. But if you go into a competition and it's your first comp ever and you're trying to pull that kind of tactic, it's not going to work because there's going to be so much unfamiliarity around. Um, What was your biggest hurdle or challenge during your CrossFit career? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think in terms of challenges of being able to keep not like my, my, not let my, myself get inside myself in terms of my head, in terms of my competition and being able to kind of pull myself outside of my head and put her to the side in a way where it's like, I'm focusing on this and not like the, what of it, what ifs of this, what if, what ifs of that creep in my head. And I think I did a pretty good job over my years, but I think as I got more experience and more time in the gym training and more competition on my belt, there starts to start, you start to think of like more possibilities of like, what about this? And what about that? Um, but then also, you know, I should have been able to do this placing these should have, would have, could have on myself. And I think learning to let that go and, that was probably one of my biggest struggles or hurdles kind of through the years of competition as more and more years went on. And I think that started to wear on me when I'm in the gym where it's like, all right, mm-hmm. well, I should be here. I should be doing this. Like, you know, why haven't my strict handstand pushups gotten better? You know, or if they are getting better, like why aren't they getting better faster? And I think trying to remove that out um, and not let it get to me. So I still enjoyed the competition because if I wasn't enjoying it, and I wasn't enjoying training then it's just going to make it hard because that's where I'm spending most of my time, six to eight hours in the gym, five to six days a week. You know, we spend a week at competition, you know, re- well, regionals, the games, um, then it's over and then it's done. And then you're back to the grind. So being able to learn how to not continue to put those expectations or have the what is should have could is in my head to say, Hey, like, this is where I'm at. This is what I need to be. If I'm going to be able to get better, this is what I need to do to get there but not putting these kind of negative expectations in my mind. And that, again, that it's hard. I think as competitive individuals or people that are striving to be better, you're constantly saying like, well, what's next? What can I do better, faster, be stronger? It can be challenging at times for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, if you're goal-driven and you've got high, exp- there's that word expectations of yourself <laughs> or you've got high standards, I suppose is the best, um, the best way to put that. Like dealing with, not meeting those is a tough thing to do, but inevitably you're not going to meet your standards all the time because otherwise you're probably not stretching your yourself enough. Was there a way you managed to get perspective on that? Did you like, um, were there any tools you practiced like meditation, journaling, or was it awareness of your mental state? Um, definitely journaling. Um, also having conversations with my, with my coach, but also talking to people about it, um, doing podcasts and, or even like in person, just having discussions with people. I started doing, I launched, um, the business in 2017. So I was still competing at the time and I would travel and do yoga wine nights. So for me, that was an opportunity to talk to people. And I think getting it out vocally or writing it in a journal, I think was huge for me talking about it, having discussions, 
I mean, sometimes discussions are 20 minutes, sometimes they're two hours, but I think for me, that was very beneficial and very helpful to reflect back. And I have a mantra where I talk about, you know, review your work, you know, and be patient. And I think reviewing your work is important and looking back of how far I've come was a good reminder for myself. And I think, like you said, you know, we have those um, high standards that we hold for ourselves and we constantly be pushing that envelope and pushing that ceiling more and more up. Um, but I think discussing and writing them out was very therapeutic in a way where I get those thoughts and those feelings out and not feel that like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I didn't reach a certain goal or I'm not the best. And it's like, no, stop, take a moment to look and back to see how far you've come to where you're at now. Because, you know, things can be, yes, things can be way better. Things could also be way worse, but give yourself the accolades or at least give yourself a pat on the back. Like, look how much you've done in this X amount of time. And I think for me, that was beneficial. It was, it was a way to say, Hey, like, awesome. Like congratulate myself, congratulate yourself for the work hard, the the hard work that you put in and appreciate what you did. And I think a lot of times we get so caught up in the next goal, the next competition, the next event that we don't take a moment to celebrate and then that movement, that moment passes and then you never reflect back on it again. So I think that was very, very helpful. And I still journal now and I highly recur- encourage and recommend people, no matter what it is, that journaling and writing can be so beneficial and helpful. Yeah, um, I'm a massive journaling geek and advocate. Um, so jump into that quickly. Um, but there's something you mentioned there and we call it minding the gap. It's like the gap between where you are and where you want to be is the one that we spend most time focusing on. And it makes sense from like an evolutionary point of view. It's like, I've got to go out and get the reward, go out and get the reward, got to do the thing because otherwise it's danger. But if you continually explore that gap, what's implicit in that is I'm not good enough and I'm not there yet. Like that's what you're telling yourself. But if you're, and it dismantles confidence, like nothing. But if you look at like the other gap, it's where have I been? Like, what have I done to get there? What challenges have I overcome? That's how you build confidence because you can just look back and see all your achievements, all your successes and sure failures, but you're going to see failures that you've overcome and failures that have spurred you on to, to greater things. And I suppose the other thing that I wanted to mention there is like, you talked about this process, getting stuff out of your head through conversation. And like, it happens the whole time in coaching calls with myself. Like, there's times I do zero coaching, but an athlete just talks and it's like, like that was a great call. Thank you. And I'm like, <laughs> I did nothing. You just, you just spoke and it's just getting it out of your head. It just like, yeah. it just, it makes a completely different experience. I agree. I think, and I, it's interesting because I think a lot of people are like, Oh, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk the entire time. Or I don't want to talk about myself. It's like, mm. no, there's a time and a place. Like sometimes you listen more, sometimes you talk more. But to be able to express those emotions and some people don't like writing, you know, and if you don't like writing, you could do like voice to text, like a notebook on your phone, whatever it is, but getting it out and expressing it, even if it's by yourself and you're talking to yourself, like who gives an F if anyone's around, they see like, oh, this person's talking to themselves, like it doesn't matter. You're getting it out. And that's what ultimately matters is like, what's best for you and finding that niche or finding that path that helps you get better, whether that's journaling, talking, conversation, whatever, it's so beneficial. And I think once people start to be okay with that, then they start to realize, and like you said, you know, you, you call someone, they're like, all right, I just talked to you for 30 minutes and I didn't say a word. Sometimes nothing needs to be said. It's just expression. And sometimes I also think, at least for myself, is when I'm talking, I think of something or something pops in my mind that I didn't even think of. And then it's like, oh, like a light bulb goes off or if I'm having a conversation and someone says, you know, a phrase or a word or say, Hey, did you think about that? And it kind of makes you pause. And like, I didn't. And it allows us to, you know, kind of like making a recipe, like come back to the scratch and scratch book and like begin from the start and say, Hey, you know, maybe add a little bit of this, or maybe I tried doing a little bit of that. And that'll actually will help better. Um, but it, I a hundred percent agree. It's, it's very therapeutic and very beneficial for people to at least get it out of their mind because, you know, there's so much that goes on between our ears and sometimes getting it out helps us clear our head. Yeah. Especially in a day where, or a time when our default kind of timeout is scrolling through phones and like, you're not really switching off there. You're not really expressing what you're feeling. You're just, you're still processing huge amounts of information. This is going to be a little bit of actually pretty big um, kind of, I suppose, focus change. But it's something I really want to touch on. And if you want to skip it, if you want to move on, then we can absolutely do that. Um, And the reason I find it so interesting is so many athletes have these kind of turning points and so many people have these turning points in their lives where something um, 
major and significant happens. Like for me, it was the passing of um, my sister-in-law. Um, she died when she was 32 and she just kind of, yeah, it, it just completely changed the way I live my life. And there were so many, like, obviously I wouldn't wish it again. Like if, if I had the, the chance to like say stop, it would be stopped. But there was so much kind of, and it, I, it really, I learned some very important lessons from it that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. And something that comes up frequently when exploring your history is your sister passing. Um, do you mind talking about that and how that, um, how that affected you? Yeah, not at all. Um, yeah. So she passed away in 2008. And just like you said, I feel like if I could go back and change it and like wave a magic wand, I for sure hundred percent would change it. Um, at the same time, it's like, how I live my life and my outlook in life has completely changed because of her passing. She passed away. She was 20. She was very young, um, was starting to change the pivot of the path. She wasn't a pivot on the path that she was on, wanted to go to culinary school, was huge into cooking and wine and learning to make desserts. And I think seeing such a zest in life of life in such a young individual and having so much, you know, love and compassion for people, it was very, um, it's contagious in a way where it's like, man, like I love that. That's how my sister is. And I, I love how um, joyous she is. And I think when she passed, it was, it was very hard, very frustrating mentally because my mindset then was like, you know, how could you take someone that was about to, you know, like change the path for the better, try to get onto a, a you know, a, a cleaner or um, a, a, a path that was going to allow her to find something more enjoyable or actually pursue her passion. And I think, for me, it, it didn't make sense in the beginning because, you know, isn't that what life's about is figuring out what you love to do and, you know, changing that life. And I think when she passed at such a drastic time, it, it threw me for a loop and I was very challenged. I think I was lost for like in a way where even though I presented myself, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm supportive for my family and friends. I think I was lost in the sense where I wasn't sure what to do or where to go. And I think for me, exercise and fitness was a solace. It was a way to get out of motion. It was a way to, you know, whatever I was feeling internally that maybe I didn't express with other people allowed me to get that out in sweat or tears or whatever it was so that I could, you know, find my way. And I think her passing shifted me to a point where like, Hey, I want to honor her and honor her legacy in her life as much as I can. And to do that, it was, you know, live life to its fullest, make the most of every single day that I have, because not every day is guaranteed. And that shifted me kind of to, I think, focusing more on fitness and as it be a solace. And then from there, it turned into other things. And I think she's guided me along the way through life. Um, her spirit or her soul or energy has kind of pushed me or helped me in certain ways that maybe I can't describe. And I think for me, one of the, like the first dream that I had was, flying back. So I was at school in Hawaii. I was flying back from Hawaii to Montana to come back and, you know, see her do the celebration of life and everything. And she came to me, my dreams. And she, she was outside some Waikiki apartment complex that I couldn't see. And I ran over to the glass door and I opened it before I opened it. It looked super crazy hair blowing everywhere. Um, but as I opened it, it was very calm. It was very quiet. There was no noise. And I, I, I'm kind of like waiting for her to come to the door and she's like, I can't come in, but I'm okay. And then I just like, I woke up in the dream. And I think it was her way to communicate to me that, you know, wherever she's at, she's okay. She can't come back. She can't physically be here, but wherever she's at, she'll be fine. And I think it was in a way, kind of a sign to say, Hey, like, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You can't continue to hold on to me, her, you can't continue to hold on to what was, but you can remember the memories, you can remember the experiences. And I think for me, that was a way to help guide me forward and to say, Hey, you know, like I'm not, I'm, I'm here. She's not here, but I can hopefully live for her um, and enjoy experiences and, you know, do what I need to do to hopefully share those with her. Um, and I think it was definitely something that for sure changed my outlook in life. And again, like I would totally change it in the drop of a hat to go back and have her be here with me to experience this life and experience these memories. But um, I think it's something that has allowed me to open so many more doors um, in different ways and hopefully share that with people and hopefully guide other people that are going through hard times and, you know, share my story to hopefully help them. And if they're in a sticky point like that. Well, th thank you so much for sharing that. That's um, incredibly um, gracious and generous of you 
to share. Uh, there's going to be people listening to this who are experiencing or have experienced very similar things and will be lost and won't know, like, or won't have a clue to how to process that because how would we know? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's incredibly valuable. And it's like, we want to do to focus on yeah the performance of CrossFit and all that kind of stuff. But the broader mental health side of things is equally as important if not far more important when it comes to individuals so yeah i massively massively appreciate you you sharing that thank you yeah i love sharing hopefully it helps others out there is and we all go through different situations um it's not always maybe the passing but maybe certain struggles um but i know that sometimes just opening up and sharing and hopefully that relates with people that can hopefully help them through a period in their life that maybe they're struggling with well, thank you. There's um, three questions that I ask everyone to kind of wrap things up and um, and finalize things. One of them is, what books have you gifted most to other people? Ooh, the At- uh, Atomic Habits by yeah, James Clear. Mm-hmm. Have you read that that one? must be the most recommended book um, on this podcast and <laughs> in the it? past 10 years. It's fantastic. It is. I really love it. And I think it speaks to so many different things um, just in life and um, I've, I've read it and I subscribe to his newsletter and I love the little quips in there because I think it's a good reminder, um, just creating small, small steps each day. And I absolutely love it. So that's probably my, my number one. <clears throat> nice. And what habits do you perform frequently for your own mental health and well-being? Uh, journaling for sure is definitely one of them. And then going out for walks, uh, walks with my dog, but also sometimes not having music, sometimes having music, but the music I feel gives me um, just like you feel so many emotions from music, not so much the words or the lyrics, but you know, who it reminds you of, or you know, the feelings you might feel when you hear the song, um, especially when it's outside and you see nature. I think that's definitely um, something I resonate with is being outdoors. And so I feel like walks have been a huge for me, journaling and walks. Um, I've just thought of a bonus question for you. Um, yeah. What wine should I drink? What wine should I be drinking right now? The goat wine. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course and um, where can i get hold of some is it available in the uk um it is not not yet hopefully i'm hope to be able to ship in the future um but we have a lot of interest in the uk and a lot of people um around the world so hopefully we're going to be able to get to international shipping soon okay cool so, um you let me when you come to sh- vegas and i'll have some for you oh fantastic i'll be there i'll be there yeah. absolutely just for that um yeah. remind awesome. me to put you in touch with some friends who have a new world wine importing company um and awesome. we'll see if there's there's possibilities there and then finally where can people find uh, more about you so they can if they have um social media instagram 321gox and then also have the goat wine on instagram as well and then i have my website thegoatwine.com Thank you for listening to the Limitless Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Whilst you're there, if you can, leave a nice comment, five-star review, that kind of thing. And also don't forget to follow us on Instagram for not only more podcast updates and who's coming up on the show and to have your say in who we can interview, but also get some mindset coaching whilst you're at it too. A little heads up in a few weeks time yeah just over a month time we're going to be releasing spaces to the mindset training camp Um, we don't run these that often anymore but they are very good when we do and we love running them so check that out keep a keep an ear to the floor if that's the right phrase and i'll speak to you next week